Faced with an uncertain future, many business owners and technology professionals don't have the time needed to invest in their business technology strategies. And as a result, they're afraid of their technology getting outdated and putting their company and customers' information at risk. The digital future is already here, but with all different choices in the marketplace, it's difficult to know which one will be the best fit for you and your strategic vision. Imagine having the peace of mind that your business is backed by the right technology investments that are tailored for your specific needs. Hi, I'm Brian Nichols, and I've helped countless business owners and technology professionals just like you, helping you make informed decisions about what technologies are best to invest in for your business. Voice, bandwidth, cybersecurity, business continuity, juggling all the aspects of business technology is messy. Let me help. Head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash help and sign up for a free one-on-one -on -one consultation with yours truly to dig deep into where you see your company heading and how we can align your business technology towards those goals. Again, that's briannicholsshow.com forward slash help to get your simplified business technology started today. Victor Antonio, welcome to the program. Selling is all about really, it's, we're not selling a product, you're not selling a service, you're not selling value, you're not selling whatever you think you're selling, a solution. You're selling change. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. As a sales and marketing executive in the greater telecommunications cybersecurity industry, Brian works with C-level executives to help them future-proof their company's infrastructure for an uncertain future. And in each episode, Brian takes that experience and applies it to the Liberty Movement. And this is why we talk about being the trusted advisor. You should be able to help use that expert guidance and all the opinions that I'm sure that you have and help lead them towards not just a decision, but the right decision. Instead of focusing on simply winning arguments or being right, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and their application in the world of politics, showing you how to ask better questions, tell better stories, and ultimately change people's minds. And now, your host, Brian Nichols. What's up, man? I can't hear you. Oh, you can't hear me. Okay. There you go. There you go. Now Excellent. There we go. All right. <laughs> we'll edit it in post, right? We'll, we'll edit it in post. That's right. Uh, well, I, I was introducing you and, and giving you all the, the kudos and the love, so let me do it again. Uh, tonight on the show, we are fortunate enough to have my good friend Drew Cook. He is better known as the Clean Libertarian, uh, ho uh, uh, chair of the Sober LP Sober Caucus, and host of the Clean Libertarian podcast. So, give your warmest welcomes to my good friend Drew Cook. Yay! Woo, Drew, how you doing tonight? Man, I'm great. Thanks a lot for having me on, brother. Absolutely, brother. Well, let's since since we've done intros twice, I think it might be time to go ahead and talk some shops. So let's get into it. All right, Drew. Where on earth do we even start after a week like this? Um, <laughs> Man, it's been it's been a fun one and, and a yeah. crazy one. Now, here's what uh, I, I like to do here that sort of sets us apart here on Cell Liberty and as, as a group, and that is that I we can we can as libertarians fight over just about every issue 
the nuances, the theory. I hate all that stuff, man. I, 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 I really like to be out in the real world and just take kind of very simple libertarian solutions and approaches and talk to real people rather than other to libertarians. And so I have had several conversations on the topic we're going to talk about tonight that your expertise is in, uh, you know, sort of drug policy and decriminalization and having those conversations with other people. So, you know, Maybe towards the end we'll talk a little bit about uh, the the nonsense, but let, let's let's stay on track here. Okay, so Drew, uh, you go up to a normie, let's say a coworker, who doesn't know your past, your history, or anything like that, and it comes up. You know, I like those libertarians, but don't they want to like legalize heroin for ch- five year olds and stuff like that? Uh, how do you, what are your techniques and walk us through kind of how you guide that conversation to change their perception? Well, the the first thing to uh, point out in that particular conversation is that children can't consent, you know, below 18. No, not even in Ancapistan would that be something that would be permitted or allowed. Um, but beyond that, I think the most potent, uh, thing that any of us could present to a normie in this day and age is the hundred thousand dead addicts from last year. Okay. Um, fentanyl is on the rise. Uh, these drug policies that we currently have give cover to bad actors. Um, you know, you're, you, you don't see that type of stuff happening at your liquor store or CVS, you know, mm-hmm. and these, these are things that, um, that I feel like are the best selling point that we have in the current climate. Yeah, so it, it sort of gives and lends credence to uh, the, the the idea among normies. And I, I, I how long you've been a libertarian? Uh, about ten years now. Ten years. Okay, so yeah. I'm a I'm a Gary John. I I I, I got to frame this. I came in during the Gary the second Gary Johnson campaign. Actually, uh, I was disgusted with the GOP. I'd watched enough John Stewart to realize that uh, both of them kind of suck and are hypocrites. And so I I took off and uh, uh, you know Gary was a nice soft place to land I, is what I like to tell people for those of us who were lost. Um, but uh, so it when when we were sort of pre-libertarian uh little trigger there uh when we were (laughs) pre-libertarian the uh the the idea was that if you legalize something it will become more prevalent people will be encouraged to do it and it's pretty counterintuitive when you tell people no actually uh legalizing something doesn't stop people making something illegal doesn't necessarily stop people from doing it how and what do you say in that conversation when people say well if we legalize it we're just going to have heroin addicts on the street i think what's really cool about uh, american history and the documented history that we have is that we have the prohibition era we have the the run of a few years where you know they they outlawed alcohol and the cool thing also is we have stats from before and after that shows the overall alcohol consumption uh, of the American population the the best thing to point out is back in the 1800s was the booziest years on record I think it was like okay. 1830s that was that was when America was just drinking corn ethanol like getting it man <laughs> and it was the hard stuff you know right it was uh, cleaner than water right yeah I mean you know it was rocket fuel and 
that number, you know, the, the per capita usage had dropped by half by the time prohibition came into effect. And if you look at the five years before and five years after prohibition, it's it, the, the noticeable difference in alcohol consumption in America is, is negligent. It doesn't exist. Interesting. Uh, okay. So, you know, and, and you take that to, to modern day and we've increased a little bit since the end of prohibition, but but not a whole lot. Certainly nowhere near where we were in the uh, 1800s. So mm-hmm. by, does, by uh, you know, our own historical records and, and data, we can see that, you know, we have the ability to determine what's good for us and what's not. Uh, there was never a need for government intervention. And I would say the same would hold true for heroin, methamphetamine, any type of, uh, you know, black market narcotic that's out there right now. My 60 year old neighbor isn't going to go out and buy black tar heroin because it became legal tomorrow. You right. know what I mean? That's just the, the likelihood of that happening is, is very little. But the pro side to having that legal black tar heroin is that that loved one that you've been trying to get to go to rehab for you know, the last few years who just refuses to go, maybe they'll actually live until their opportunity to get clean presents itself. Because right yeah. now what they're having to do is they're buying an illicit substance and they have no idea the potency or the strength or even what's in it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's that's the deal on that. Okay, very cool. So when, when you when you are selling, and this this is my daytime profession, is to uh, to to make sales. So the process goes: people got to like you, then they got to trust you, and then you create a problem or you you illustrate the problem before you provide the solution. So to a lot of people, they believe the problem to be the addict or the uh you know, you know addiction leads to poverty leads to crime and that sort of thing if we are if we present that the addict is the problem then the solution would be to punish the addict right but that's not the actual problem what is the actual problem behind addiction that we need to solve in order to improve uh, liberty, freedom for, for everybody. I think the stigma around it, you know, is the, is the big part. And that's, that's a cultural thing. So that's not really a political line that we can cross. You got to get society, um, looking at drug addiction in a different light than they currently do. And, you know, just like with political parties, the country is split, you know, you got half the people thinking that we need to coddle addicts and you got the other half thinking we need to cage them for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. Um, I think an important thing to point out um, is that we have tried the punish the addict routine and especially back when Narcotics Anonymous formulated uh, back in back in the uh, 70s, 60s and 70s. uh, There were these things called Rockefeller laws in New York. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of them before or not. No, I haven't. But um, these laws um, made it illegal for more than one addict to occupy a space at a given time. Now, how they determine who was an addict and who wasn't, I'm not sure. But with this legislation, they effectively outlawed any type of 12-step recovery meeting from taking place. Oh, wow. Um, Interesting. Yes. And there's if anybody is uh, you know inclined in the audience to look them up, I would highly recommend reading up about a man named Father Dan Egan, uh, otherwise known as the Junkie Priest. Um, this guy was a Catholic priest um, who went out of his way, tarnished his reputation during the time to help overcome those Rockefeller laws, to help provide a place for addicts to get clean. Um, 
And so all that to say is that 12 step recovery started to work, right? Once yeah. these laws got abolished and it started to work. So you fast forward to modern day and at the end of the day, government's saying, Hey, you need to go to these 12 step meetings. That's what it is. The government is openly admitting like we do not have a solution for this problem. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry, I'm rambling. Yeah. Dude. This oh, is- no, 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 no. This, this is perfect because it it highlights when we engage in these conversations. What are the actual problems we need to talk about? Because the problem that is seen by our normies is that addicts cause all of these uh, other things. And that isn't necessarily deep enough. to. So in sales, we talk about peeling the onion, right? So right. you ask a question and the customer or client will give you a response. And you can kind of tell like, okay, we're that that's that while it might be correct we're still not at the why at the center of all this and um i think i think that's really important to to illustrate the why so thank you for going through that the um so when we are discussing those uh problems let's go let's peel that onion back even a little further in the things we can talk about what are what are what are the things that are at the core root cause of addiction itself? Man, that's, I I wish there was a one size fits all answer for that, but there simply isn't. There is a, there's a number of things that lead someone to um, have substance abuse issues. Um, I do believe that there are certain, you know, markers that are present long before a substance is introduced into the person's body. But, uh, Overall, man, you know, you got a lot of people who had certain traumas. Um, you got some people who they got addicted because their doctor prescribed them opiates for some sports industry uh, injury. Oh, yeah. Um, there's there's so many different types of stories, but but overall, um, if if I were to paint it, I would say that a lack of healthy coping skills would be the okay. root cause of, and that's dude, that's such a ham ham fisted answer. To that it question. really is. Yeah. But, but no, no, no. I think, I think in not being able to answer the question, you actually did answer the question because what, what I find is effective when I'm selling people on these ideas of liberty that might seem a little outlandish is to find a story that they, even if it's not necessarily a true story, it's true somewhere. It's not, uh, but that somebody can connect with. So I'll give you a great example. When, uh, and I've mentioned this before, shortly after the uh, Parkland shooting, uh, because the kid was under 21, they said, you have to be 21 to buy alcohol. You should have to be 21 to buy a gun. And so the story that I used to overcome that was, okay, do you hate single mothers who are like teenage single mothers? Because if a single mother is 19, working, living on her own, and you are going to tell her she doesn't have a right to defend herself in her home uh, with a firearm. She, you're going to make her of basically a sitting target and vulnerable only because she wasn't born in the right year. And that, so that is a situation where somebody can go, yeah, I could see that in that situation, ham-fisted solutions from the government are not a good thing. So then the same can apply to drugs. Not every addict is somebody who was, uh, you know, poverty or a thief and just a junkie or whatever. A lot of times this comes from somebody who was a high school superstar athlete, blew out a knee 
a, a shitty doctor prescribed him opiates for too in too heavy of a dose and for too long, and it's completely wrecked their life because once addiction takes hold, you are sort of at its mercy in a lot of ways. Um, so that that sort of storytelling is really really powerful. Um, so I love that. Uh, okay, so what about the idea and what do you say to the folks who say? Oh well, we're just gonna have heroin in the gas station, uh, and anybody can go in and buy it, shoot it up in their car. It, we'll, we'll get to the car in a minute, but let's just talk about heroin stores, okay? <laughs> How do you respond to people who talk about heroin stores? Well, I mean, where are we already have heroin stores? There's a CVS and a Walgreens, <laughs> multiple, you know, across your, wow. your city. Um, That's it, so good. They exist, man. I mean, they're already there. I, there really is a uh, counterpart for every street level narcotic that, that can be found in your local pharmacy, you know, with, okay. with, with the exception of uh, certain psychedelics and ecstasy. Yeah. But you have derivatives of cocaine, yeah. of methamphetamine, of um, uh, opiates, heroin, a litany of opiates, you know. So, yeah, this is it won't be anything new. It's just, you know, that dirty, grungy image you have in your mind. You might have to see that person a little bit more often. And if that's the case, just don't go to that store. Like what is wrong with these people? <laughs> anyway, in that that I wrote that down and that that floored me. We already have heroin stores. They're called CVS. Holy <laughs> yeah. crap! Uh, sorry, I'm taking aback for a minute. That's such a good line. Okay, so we highlight. So in the sales process, we peel the onion and we ask these normies sort of. What are your fears and concerns? We've hit on a couple. Are there any, when you're engaging with people, what are their fears, problems, and concerns with the idea of drug decriminalization that we haven't quite touched on? I think the biggest one and the toughest to approach is talking to someone who has lost a loved one to overdose. Mm. That okay. has to be done in a way. I heard this the other day is that honesty without compassion is cruelty. So yeah. what we are selling here is honest, factual information. Okay. But mm -hmm. we have to be compassionate in the way we approach it. Um, especially in modern day America, there's a very high likelihood that the person you're talking to has been negatively affected by addiction in one way, shape or form. Yeah. And so um, approaching that, you know, with caution is the way to go. And um, really in, in, in that particular situation, you know, the way mm -hmm. that we talk about it is, you know, with, <clears throat> these drug laws being what they are with, with drug addicts who uh, utilize street level narcotics, there's a stigma that keeps them in active addiction for far longer than if we, if these laws weren't in place, you know, if you had um, less regulations as far as, you know, the barrier to entry into the rehabilitation programs, if you yeah. had uh, more of an open opportunity to approach your employer and say, look, I'm having a hard time right now like this. I yeah. need some help. Um, we would see less deaths overall. Okay. That, that, that I think is huge. And empathy is best done when approached from a place of curiosity. So if you do encounter someone who says I've lost a loved one to these drugs, the correct approach is to, you know, kind of get in that suffering with them a little bit and say, oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry. Tell me about them. What did they, you know, struggle with? What 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 was their life like? What were they great at? Really do show uh, 
interest in that person. But when it comes down to eventually making your pitch and providing that solution, I think this is one of the ones that Gary Johnson kind of nailed out of the park. Uh, he was asked by a, a woman whose son died of a heroin overdose. And he goes, ma'am, I, I don't like to point this out, but he died while it was as illegal as it can be. You know, we, we can't make heroin more illegal and your son still passed away from an overdose. So yeah. obviously the laws aren't working <laughs> and they're certainly not working to benefit your son. In this case, we're offering an alternative to where potentially they could get that sort of service. Okay. Phenomenal. We got some folks in the chat. Let's take a look. So Brian says, I have a 75 year old friend living in a marijuana legal state that has been so brainwashed that he is more afraid of MMJ than his cancer. Uh, what do you find? Obviously, there's been a lot of propaganda around these products, but what you know? How do we help? Pe how do we help people kind of overcome the stigma, if not for themselves, but for at least uh, you know, not 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 being so critical of others think, you know, more than anything is just, you know, showing the hard evidence of the net positives that these substances can have in somebody's life. Um, now, that's not to sell a normalization of going out and buying black tar heroin and shooting it up in your car outside the CVS. Not saying that at all. Right. What, what I am saying is um, a lot of data that is out there for every one of these substances is geared towards a certain uh pinpoint and that pinpoint is typically keeping prohibition alive and well um mm -hmm. very little has been done to sh you know show the actual positives or what these substances are used for uh for instance there was that story out of la county about the sheriff like getting contact high off of fentanyl and having an overdose that was complete nonsense yeah of course um that's the type of stories that we need to go out of our way to really poke holes in to show okay. that like, this is not real. That is not the way this stuff works. Um, mm -hmm. And the other part of it too, is that like, you know, and I, I keep going back to fentanyl because that's the hot topic item right yeah, now, right? Like they're, they're, they're wanting to keep it schedule one. Um, the DEA is like, you know, being the DEA. Uh, and the thing about it is, is fentanyl has been around for a long time. It's only when it started yeah. showing up in drugs that were not, sold as fentanyl laced drugs that it became a problem <laughs> right yeah. when fentanyl was sold as fentanyl there wasn't an issue you know right. that tells you that you know the 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 market being what it is because of government policies is the reason we're having a problem with this particular substance yeah it's not the substance itself right yeah 100 percent. so okay I, I love that let's talk a little bit well let, let's go into one or two more problems and uh greg here brings up one, uh, the problem of feeding the prison industrial complex. And uh, Aaron A. here says, like Larry Sharp pointed out, the war on poverty has made more impoverished and the war on drugs has made more drug addicts. So, And I think those two go hand in hand because a lot of people talk about crime and you see it increase in areas of poverty. And addiction and poverty tend to kind of go hand in hand in those neighborhoods. So um, what, ha how have you seen and learned that those two are correlated when it comes to poverty uh, and criminalizing poverty to the point where people have one place to turn? I mean, it's 
a, a multitude of issues. Um, of course, you always look at like criminal organization and enterprise. They take a foothold and they're always going to use the vice, right? Like they're always going to go for the thing that's been outlawed and that's how it's going to continue going. Um, you see it happening with uh, not only cartels down south. Like I don't know if you follow like any kind of narco news, but man, mm. what is happening south of the border does not get enough attention. Um, okay. Entire. If, if you think that like the footage that you see from like Iraq and Afghanistan, like from those wars were bad, like that's still happening, but it, south of the border man <laughs> yeah. like i'm talking like kids soccer games being you know completely uh, interrupted by gunfire and, and this and that but so that's impoverishment you know uh, abroad but impoverishment here looks a lot like you know the felony conviction rate and what that entails for a member of society it's it's insane and it's ridiculous mm-hmm. uh drug court is sold as some like golden idea I, if there's anything that y'all take away from this, it is that drug court should be fought tooth and nail and completely upended. Um, what, what drug court does is it create, it's a trick off. It gets you enrolled in these programs that you have to pay for by yourself. Um, yeah. So what it is, is a lot of different counseling, therapy, drug tests, all of it, you got to pay out of pocket for it and hold down a job at the same time. Uh, a lot of people are unable to complete it unless they have some like overwhelming support. And the majority of people going into the system, they don't have a support system, man. Like mm-hmm. their support system was the drug game that like that was them. You know, that's what they yeah. did. And then you're telling them to be good and pay for it in the process. Like, how does that work? You know, um, we're, you're you're not teaching anything new here. You're just using a gun and you're not Robin Hood in the process. Like you're you're actually the, the villain here. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, it's not good. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it, and they they do it under the guise of we're helping these these people, right? By yeah. by putting them in a cage and locking them in a cage. And I think um, you know framing it. Uh, I've always found a ton of success framing it a, against guns because typically, and obviously, there's plenty of people on the left who are big government cronies and they're going to support a police state and all that sort of stuff. They they hate this just as much. But but right wingers are the ones who clutch their pearls about oh, criminalization. Yeah. If we're being honest, right? Yeah. So, but right wingers love their guns. And so I find a lot of the same principles are, are comparable when they talk about their guns as uh, what they are hypocritical on when they talk about their, uh, you know, legalizing drugs. And I go, so uh, do people die at the hands of guns? Do people abuse guns and use it to harm other people? Do people use guns to rob other people? Do uh, now, does that mean that if you have guns, in your house safely and that you are going to do those things. No. Okay. So it's the same thing with drugs. There are going to be individuals who are struggling, who are going to abuse it. Uh, They are going to do, but until harm happens, no crime should have happened. Right. Until you, until you murder somebody, having a gun should not lock you in a cage. So until you harm somebody else, why should you be locked in a cage for drugs? I love that comparison. It starts to sink in with them a little bit. And then they move into the, well, I don't want heroin stores and, you know, but, but that is sort of the core issue is that are drug users, who are drug users 
harming? Who are addicts harming? The punishment of addiction is addiction. They're already being punished significantly. So it should be approached from a place of empathy and support. So I'm curious, what is since drug court is not one of the solutions, uh, let's talk a little bit about how solutions could be implemented and what decriminalization might look like. I, I will tell you right now, and this is this is no lie, the coffee pot at your local NA or AA meeting has done more to combat drug addiction than every federal, <laughs> state, and municipal government combined. Just that coffee pot alone, okay? Um, holding a gun to an addict's head and telling them not to ever use again is the same as holding a gun to a homeless person's head and say, just buy a house. Yeah, it's, yeah there's a, that's a good lot. Point lot more that goes into it than just don't use. If just don't use worked, dare would have worked for all of us, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we have to look at this, um, you know, and, and you don't, not, I'm not saying anybody has to have empathy. You can feel however you want to feel about it. But the fact of the matter is every time government gets involved in these policies, it creates more addicts. Uh, most recently, we, we heard about the uh, scary opioid epidemic. Well, what ended up happening is doctors stopped prescribing as many painkillers. Yeah. Patients were addicted to painkillers. So what did they do when they couldn't get the prescription? They went to street they level narcotics. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, I mean, anybody with the two brain cells rubbed together could see that happening from a mile away. Yeah. And then they clutch their poles and they're like, how did this fentanyl epidemic happen? Like, why is there a hundred thousand dead addicts? Mm -hmm. And it's like the way to approach these things um, as far as like, you know, looking at decriminalization and, and I hate to point to another country, but you know, Portugal has done really well. Portugal has done really well with their approach. Not only. Right. Have they had more people like actually finding recovery and and actually getting freedom from addiction by taking that type of stance? And I and I, I think it's a ch what comes first, the chicken or the egg argument. Yeah. You know, what changes first? Is it public perception or policy? But I think in this case, changing policy would have a good chance of changing public perception. Yeah. Right. And mm -hmm. uh, with a policy change as vast and wide as full on decriminalization. And I, I really do think we'd see a lot less people dying from addiction and, and finding some help. Yeah. More people finding yeah. help, less people dying. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So when we're so let, let's do a little recap and then let's get into some some more hot, fun topics. Uh, so when we're talking to normies, first thing we've got to do is is build some rapport, try to find out what it is that they are concerned about with dr drug decriminalization. What are those issues? Get to the root cause of what their fears are. Uh, then humanize addicts by telling stories about how basically there is no specific type of addict. It's not like what you see in movies. Housewives can be addicts. F former athletes can be addicts. And addicts oftentimes don't, uh, they're not in the gutter. They're, they're struggling at home and all this. And then show how a policy that criminalizes that when they don't harm other people could potentially take that housewife away from her kids, lock her in jail for years and harm that family rather than getting her treatment. Could, you know, uh, we're basically punishing people for being victims. And that, that is sort of the pitch and the approach. And then finally, if you need any comparisons, feel free to use the the guns and the FUD and, and all that. Um, and uh, don't forget to talk about the real problem that is that the prevalence of dark drugs like fentanyl come about because people can't 
get access to the things that sort of started the addiction to a better process. They don't have access to something that is lighter. Uh, yeah. Do you did 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 I do a good pitch you there, Drew? Great. And what you, you found effective? That's what There's I'm talking about, my one, man. One other little little thing though that, to point out. There, okay. This this is applicable across the board, whether Normie or uh, Ancapistan, Ancapistani, okay. whoever you're talking to. Um, 12 step recovery is nonprofit, completely organic. It is self-sustaining nice. through their own contributions. They have no, no ties to any government, mm-hmm. right? These started as a need in the community because addicts and alcoholics were like, we need to get well. And they banded together and they get well. So now we have something that already works. That's not government involved at all. So that's the thing I really think we need to prop up. And I think that that's the selling point. Okay. Talk about getting people in 12-step recovery program and that that's going to solve the problem more than locking them in a cage and making them live with dire consequences. I think the other thing, uh, and and we'll, well, this is a great, uh, we don't have to go onto our hot topics yet because I forgot about this as a segue. So people ask all the time, well, what if they get high and rob a liquor store? What if they get high and drive and kill someone? What if they get high and then go do X, Y, Z? Um, the important part of that conversation is you go, okay, all of those things are illegal. And should stay illegal, probably. If you're harming somebody else, yes. You don't get a pass on shooting up here and driving a car and killing somebody. You you probably need to be punished for the killing somebody part. Yeah. Uh, but if you are not harming somebody, addiction is not a crime. Uh, utilizing drugs is not a crime. So we can keep the crimes of the things that you're scared that uh, drug addicts are, are, are going to do, but... The, all we're asking to do is remove the the uh, punishment, the criminalization of, and, and and essentially the stigma around addiction. Is that that's any thoughts accurate. to add on that? that that's, that's one I mean, that that's, I always deal with. What do they get? What if they get in a car and drive? You know? Yeah, yeah I mean, it's that we already have situations like this. You know, with with alcohol. You know, you, you worry about those things, but. You, you prosecute those things. You, anytime that mm-hmm. the nap is violated, anytime somebody and I know if you're talking to Normie, you're probably not talking about the nap, but anytime there is a victim created by the actions of someone, whether under the influence or not, those crimes are still going to stay in effect regardless of the yeah. uh, legality of a substance. Yeah, you, you know? don't need to ban guns to make murder illegal. You don't need to ban no. drugs to make, exactly. you know, driving while high illegal, right? right. So uh, I think that that's a great one. Okay, let's shift to some hot topics. Uh, we're talking about uh, things being illegal. Let's talk about police uh, because it came up today and uh, or this week in in just an absolute nightmare of a week on Twitter. I know. Uh, so uh, essentially, what is it? Is it an old Rothbard quote? Was it Rothbard that said, "Unleash the co- who who was it? or was that Hopper?" I, I I, I'm not. Sure, I don't read dude. theory. The only theory I read is Star Wars. So if like there you, you want to talk about the old Hell Republic, yeah. we can get into that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I I I avoid theory for that very reason. Is that yes. some of the newest some of the newest theory is thirty years old. 
Mm-hmm. And they were, and what happened is we got a lot of good libertarian theory, like in the early to mid 1900s. And then they kind of ran out of stuff to talk about because libertarianism is pretty simple. So what did they do? They start going deeper and trying to apply it to today's problems and issues. So if you're reading this theory that was 35 years ago and they go, well, we should do this. Well, we've grown and learned a lot since then. So when a theorist says we should unleash the cops on the homeless uh, and take back the architecture, that I, I think that's clearly a guise for bums, vagrants, and addicts, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I think we've learned a lot about what an addict is and how people end up in homelessness situations. So we don't necessarily have to get into all that. We, we all know um, the perception of a homeless person in 2020. We have a much better understanding of how they ended up there than versus 1992 when that quote might have been written. So maybe we should take it with a grain of salt. But my, uh, my real question was interaction with the police and what the drug war the war on drugs actually does to empower the police. Mm. Um, what are what are your experiences on that, and what have you seen? I have seen. Uh, I've been to jail quite a few times. <laughs> I have seen the uh, Stanford Prison experience play out on a full scale, mm-hmm. time and time and time again. Um, yeah. out, out in you know the world, I have seen cops that are just as dirty, dirty, dirty cops. Um, I've seen some that seem to do okay for their job. You know, I, I don't know. I I've had multiple interactions with cops. I've only been beat up a couple of times by them. So that's Mm -hmm. pretty good. I think those are pretty good odds for me, but, um, yeah, I think ultimately, um, this, this war on drugs and you said it best. I mean, it, it it gives causeway for these police to do things like civil asset forfeiture, no knock raids. Mm -hmm. Um, just the militarization of police is all in the name of those crazy cartel members and those, you know, drug dens that we have to go kick the door in on. Um, yeah, that the reason we have the police state that we do is directly because of drugs. You know, and the policy, not drugs themselves, but the policies surrounding them. Yeah. You know, you if you go back and you watch like and I know this isn't necessarily real life, but you watch like uh, Andy Griffith and Mayberry and and all that. uh, That is 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 sort of more of what I think a lot of right wingers think police officers are. Uh, They're sort of there (laughs) to help the community and, you know, assist and do all that. When in reality, these are like they the drug war has turned them into essentially like door to door used car salespeople. And I I know I say this as a salesperson, but we're, we're teaching you how to do sales and persuasion right here. They are looking for any opportunity to boost their numbers, essentially. And like you said, for those of you who don't know the Stanford prison experiment, let me give you kind of a quick guise of it. Uh, At Stanford Psychology, they took uh, a bunch of students and put them in an experiment, uh, a, a role sort of deal. And they made some of them the prisoners and some of them the guards. And they told them basically nothing else. You're the guards, you're the prisoners. And over time, the the guards started treating the prisoners, which were just their classmates, like actual prisoners, beating them, like doing all of this sadistic stuff. Uh, it's one of the most controversial experiments of all time. But basically what it is, what it proves is that when you put on that uniform as a cop, 
you become an authoritarian in that way. And so you go looking for these problems and the drug war enables you cover. It provides you cover for it. Yeah. Uh, and so when they pull and this is where it started with like, so what does probable cause mean? Well, if somebody swerves a little bit on the road, I can pull them over and they, what's the likelihood they're going to have drugs? 5%? 10% maybe. Well, now I've got a bust if I can smell marijuana in the car, right? And then that leads to very tense interactions with the police where, uh, okay, if you do have drugs, I'm going to bet you're not somebody who doesn't carry. Uh, so now you've, you've essentially forced a situation where an individual is faced with going to jail, they're carrying, and then you have another man who is there uh, also carrying, and now you've created a gunfight where nobody was being harmed to begin with. Um, so that that that's always sort of my, and I go, wouldn't it be better if that cop said, okay, have a great day, and that guy drove off with nothing to be concerned about, and everybody went home at the end of the day happy? Why do we have to force these interactions that, 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 that lead to a lot of deaths? Um, your thoughts uh, as I ramble. Yeah, I mean that's I, I'm I'm in total agreement with you. Um, a lot of these interactions and high speed pursuits where you know innocent bystanders get harmed because the person's yeah. running from the cops because they have like a baggy scrape worth of cocaine yeah. in their car, like yeah. it's insane, man. You know, um, yeah. the 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 force is not proportional to the crime. Uh, yeah. In a lot of cases and and not to bring, I mean, but that's, I think that's police interaction overall. I mean, look, the, the handicapped guy in the wheelchair just got gunned yeah. down. Just Dude, right, what? right down the road from me in Tucson. Oh, really? So that was local. Yeah. I'm, I'm in Phoenix. That happened in Tucson. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. That was a horrific, you know, horrific, yeah. but when all you have is a hammer, everything's a nail. Yes. Yeah. And you know, you're, that you're trying to solve a problem that's so much more nuanced than, um, um, you know, somebody's rights being violated with mm -hmm. this armed agent of the state and addiction is just so much more complex than anything that that officer is able to maintain or, or handle. So, so that brings up a good point. Um, the, the term defund the police is, is tossed around and everybody can kind of take it as they mean, but the approach, what, how could we better police these issues and problems. So for example, last year there was that kid, uh, in Atlanta, um, who was drunk. He was, he was dry. He was driving drunk, uh, and he fell asleep in the Wendy's drive through. So he has yet to harm anybody, but he passed out in the Wendy's drive through. Wendy's called the Wendy's had one option called the police. The police came, knocked on the, the door, kid freaks, run, uh, like he, he sort of grapples with the police while they try to arrest him, starts running, they shoot him in the back and kill him. Mm -hmm. um, just just an outlet. So what are, in, in your mind, some better approaches to who we can call besides hammers? I, I have a uh, friend of mine, Christopher Dreisbach. He is the uh, founder of Second Chance in Pennsylvania. And they've mm -hmm. done some wonderful work. What they have done is, is that they've created a program to where when an officer responds to a, a crime that the obvious nexus is drug related, that mm -hmm. instead of taking this person to jail, they call a member of the local recovery community. That mm -hmm. member comes out and they do what we call a 12 step call. That's where you sit down, you have a heart to heart with the person, you share a little bit of your story, and then you ask them, you know, if they're ready to get some help. And then from there, they take them to rehab. Um, wow. 
nobody goes to jail. They, and and the, the benefit of that program is that they actually, any kind of evidence that the officer may have found, uh, drugs, whatever, gets destroyed. No charges filed whatsoever. The person has a completely clean slate so long as they follow through on their end of the deal and actually go to detox or rehab. Mm-hmm. That is the approach. Sending, Does, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, sending people who are actually educated on addiction and recovery. That's who you want there. Not the person who views every person with, you know, a little bit of dope as the enemy. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so if they, so they destroy the drugs. What about cash um, in that situation? Do you know? I have no idea. I did not so ask I know that's, about that. Part that's of the always policy. kind of a scary part about civil asset forfeiture is it's uh, like, yeah. <laughs> man, I'm going to lose my entire livelihood. Yeah, I can go to rehab, but I'm going to come out broke and end up in the same position. Mm-hmm. Um, so I th- I think uh, we, we also have to get away from this. Um, do, man, okay. So in, in, what about, uh, in, uh, so would it be the same in a situation with alcohol like that, uh, in Atlanta, would they call? And so is this somebody there with the police? Yeah. Yeah. So like the, the police will just kind of like hang out with the person while that member of recovery is on their way, um, mm-hmm. to the scene in an ideal world, maybe the Wendy's employee could have called somebody from recovery instead of the officer. Yeah. Um, but those types of things aren't made widely available yet. I think the yeah. more and more we see programs like Second Chance pop up, uh, we have positive, you know, testimonies and stories to share from those interactions. Maybe we can get the general public on board with taking that route instead of calling the cops. I like that. Um, so then, how how can we and what and should we separate? Uh, sort of the dealers, the street level dealers. And uh, because if we go decrim, right? Decrim uh, is sort of the natural first step. It's not going to be sold in your grocery store, right? You're not going to be able to buy crack on aisle three. But so so dealers will ultimately persist, right? Um, is, is that the case as you see it with decrim? See, the here's here's where it gets weird. So like Decriminalization, as libertarians see it, would be a a total free market in the narcotics world. Um, Free market. Um, Here's the thing. There is not a single substance in this country in any of the markets that are that. It's regulated. It's taxed to some degree. Um, I would love for the libertarian viewpoint of decriminalization, and that's what I will always push for. But I think our better bet would be as far as getting these drugs out of the back alleyways and uh, black markets would be to give it full pass legalization, like allow it to be sold in brick and mortar stores. You know um, what you end up doing with that, the net positive for the overall society community is that if you do have a dealer who is maliciously spiking drugs with fentanyl, there is recourse you know, there is somebody That's that they point. can follow up with in the court system. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. see that happening with decrim alone. Um, the other part of it, too, is that you can and I know us libertarians hate regulations, but I mean, let's just be honest, man, like you would have regulations, you know, 21 yeah. and up only uh, in a decrim. You would have stories of, oh, this person sold a 16 year old heroin, you know, or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, but, no, I, I think that makes a ton of sense. And so I think. 
there are, especially, and this is, <laughs> this is, this is what I tell people. So, uh, if you interact with me on, on, on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, uh, I come across very much as like a minarchist where I'm like, yeah, deep down, like I want it all to go away. Of course. Right. The more you learn, you're like, no, to hell with this end it all. But this is about having conversations with normies. So mm-hmm. sometimes it's important to let them sort of get some wins in there. And I think what you just mentioned are some important things to give them as wins. Look, it can be regulated. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that uh, it, we know it's safer and it's part, and then there are repercussions for people who do it. If we put it in brick and mortar stores, we can eliminate street level dealers so that it can be regulated. This is much safer. If we go, if we, if we even, oh God forbid, use use money that was uh, fed into prison <laughs> systems to to yeah. to fund rehab. Look, you're, you're getting the money's being stolen anyways. I know it, the best thing to do would be not tax people. But you've got to sort of paint a picture in order because and and, the, and and that is why it's important to be able to to play minarchist sometimes is what I like to say. Uh, I'll pretend to be minarchist when it when it really helps uh, get the point across. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So that's very good. Uh, let's get to some some comments, man. People are people are wanting to hear from you. So Brian, policy changing is what uh, started the drug war in the first place. Yeah, uh, yeah. Jared, uh, the best way to convince politicians to legalize anything is to convince them they can make bigger profits if they get in early. Then the kickbacks from big pharma shots fired. Uh, not wrong though. <laughs> if I hear gateway drug one more time, I'm going to lose my shit. <laughs> let's let's get into that. Um, yeah. What are actual gateway drugs and what are not gateway drugs? I think it's a gateway culture. I don't think oh, a gateway drug is real. Um, I think that you know, here's for my. I, I can only go off of my personal experience, and mine was hearing in school that. Uh, pot was the same as heroin, you know, from the dare officer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Trying pot, just having a bad case of the munchies and a little paranoia. I was like, well, they lied about this. They probably lied about everything. Yeah. Um, you, you create a gateway culture because you've lied about what these substances actually are. Interesting. You have yeah. to, you know, with, with above board, uh, honest dialogue about these substances, you wouldn't have things like a gateway drug or anything like that. You wouldn't have people trying something they had no business trying to begin with, you know, yeah. if you're honest about these substances. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 what, well, what that made me think of is, so it, it, you're right in dare. They said marijuana and heroin are basically the same thing. So you go to, so you finally turn 20, you go off to college, you're good, good guy. And then there are like six people at the college party, uh, you know, smoking weed or whatever. And you realize like, oh man, I I guess it isn't what they told me it was. Mm -hmm. So then the other things must not be what they told me it was. So you're, you're actually more, if you lie and are dishonest with people, you're more likely to lead them into addiction, uh, and and the, the substances they should avoid. Uh, I think this is a really good point from Aaron. What normies need to be made aware of is that the drugs do not make the addict. An addict can get off on what they can find in a hardware store. 
many fall for the drug of choice fallacy. Is that what you've experienced? Because even on like uh, TV shows about addiction, they do have their drug of choice. They're, they're like, I'm a crack girl or, you know, yeah, one person yeah. has meth or whatever, you know. Uh, is that the case or do they just do what they can find when it comes to addiction? I mean, we've all got our greatest hits, you know, um, you, I'm sure you like certain music, you know, but if you're in a boring setting and you only have one station that you can get, that's not, you know, your preferred music, you're going to listen to it. And it's the same thing with, with anything. It's, uh, addiction is a form of escapism, right? so like, just to kind of bring it back to not having healthy coping skills to deal with the world around you, um, you're going to use whatever you can. And Aaron is absolutely correct. You know, there is Mm -hmm. nothing there is no merit to the the drug itself. That's one of the things I learned um, in recovery is that the drugs were just a symptom of an underlying problem, you know, and that yeah. problem I had to deal with head on. First, I had to get the drugs out of the way, but still the drugs were never my problem. Yeah. You know, in fact, they became, they, they started as the solution to that problem. Correct. And time. then addiction is what became the problem. So, yes. uh, that, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, let's see the next one in some places, uh, from Jared Curry, in some places, all you have to do is drive down the wrong street with an out of state license plate for probable cause. And now you ended up with a, an interaction with the police. Yeah, that is a phenomenal point. I think, uh, one of the things that sort of black lives matter in the, um, that sort of, uh, criminal justice reform, uh, culture missed last year, or at least they didn't talk about it enough, is that you have to reduce interactions. You have to let the cops be firefighters. That That's exactly what police should do. They should sit around, if they're going to exist, by the way, uh, they should sit around, make chili at the firehouse or at the police <laughs> house, and then when they get a call, they go, right? Yeah. But they don't. That's not the culture of police. They are out actively looking for trouble. Because there's this idea that you can prevent bad things from happening, and that's just, just simply not true, no. and that's been proven. Cop, cops are just human. They take human action. No one wants to purposely put themselves in harm's way. That's a great point. So if you want to do your job as safely as you do, so the fewer interactions that you are forced into, because the cops are forced into these situations too. Yeah. It, it's either do my job or get fired. And so they you know, it's, uh, it's, it's self preservation there. Uh, Brian gateway drugs are the results of the drug war. The, when one supply is eliminated, one searches out for another and may be convinced to try this. It's just as good. Do you see that a, uh, a lack in supply, uh, in some cases, like let's say they bust a, a, a transport or something. Uh, it has sort of a huge impact on an area and ends up being worse. Yeah. So here's uh, something interesting. One of my, I, I, one of my, I was just having this conversation on Twitter recently is that methamphetamine today is not the methamphetamine from 10 years ago. It's an entirely different product with entirely different side effects. Uh, psychosis is a lot more widespread now with this drug. Um, users report having blurred vision, which is nickel poisoning from the gun blowing they're using in this. Um, right. It's, Every single new regulation they have tried to get ahead of, you know, making it harder to get um, Sudafed or, uh, you know, what was the uh, the old trucker pills that you could get at every gas station? Yeah, the uh, the ephedrine. That's it. Yeah. Yep. 
Um, every time one of those regulations, sweeping regulations comes along, the chemistry changes and this drug becomes more dangerous, but it's mm -hmm. just as widespread. Um, and just to kind of put a point out there for how uh, laughably ineffective the recent regulations regarding that drug were, uh, eight ball of methamphetamine 10 years ago around here would run you at least 200. And that's if you knew the person okay. really well. Now yeah. it's about 20 bucks. You can get a quarter ounce for $40 cash. So at a fraction of the cost, <laughs> this truck is widely available and it's doing mm -hmm. damage, you know? Um, and that's yeah. the, another direct result of government action right there. Yeah. Crack cocaine was born out of the scarcity of cocaine. New forms of drugs essentially is market innovation, right? Mm -hmm. And we're pushing it on the black market. Uh, okay. Uh, any final thoughts for us, Drew, as we kind of wrap this up going into time, um, on having conversations with normies about police interactions, um, you know, uh, addiction and how we can be better at opening people's eyes, uh, to these issues. Uh, point to your brothers and sisters in the rooms of 12 step recovery who are actively, telling you that we need to end the war on drugs because they do not have a vested interest in it. When I tell you I want the war on drugs to end, it's not because I want to use tomorrow. I could use today, but I choose not to. I'm doing so because the best pathway forward for society and for the future members of recovery is to end this war on drugs, give them the best opportunity to find us. Absolutely. Well, give us some plugs. Tell us about uh, the show, the caucus, and what you got going on. Okay, so um, uh, first off and foremost, uh, I am, you know, the Clean Libertarian podcast. Uh, you can find it on YouTube and, and Spotify. Uh, I do one episode a week, and I, I there's a lot of stories of recovery on there. I've also had a lot of uh, drug activists and other, you know, types of conversation. Uh, but the main thing I want to plug is the Sober Caucus, the LP Sober Caucus. We are a group of people within the party who believe that we have the best possible message for ending the war on drugs. There's a ton of nuance to be found. Um, and we know exactly all those talking points on top of that. We want to create spaces at libertarian events to where, you know, libertarians, we tend to be kind of crazy, right? We party a lot, yeah. we drink, we yeah. do drugs, whatever, you know, some of us, but we want to create a space to where if you are in the rooms or, you know, just living a um, abstinent lifestyle, you can come holler at us, man. We can hang out and still have a good time. So uh, yeah. be, look, be looking for us in Reno and um, at LP Sober Caucus. You can find all of our updates there. Absolutely. And I will be running in Reno. So come find me. Say hello as well. Well, awesome. Drew, thank you so much uh, for being a part tonight. And uh, man, I'm really grateful for it. And uh, you guys go follow the Clean Libertarian podcast and at you at uh liberty drew 84 that's it that's the guy all right guys have a fantastic evening this is jeremy signing off have a great night see ya thanks for listening to the brian nichols show find more episodes at brian if you enjoyed today's episode don't forget to subscribe want to help us reach more people Give the show a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Find us at briannicholsshow.com and download the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
Follow me on social media at B Nichols Liberty and consider donating to the show at BrianNicholsShow.com forward slash support. The Brian Nichols Show is supported by viewers like you. Thank you to our patrons, Daryl Schmitz, Laura Stanley, Michael Lima, Mitchell Mankiewicz, Cody Johns, Craig DaCosta, and the We Are Libertarians Network. Trust the experts. We're all in this together. If it saves one life. Raise your hand if you heard any of those tiresome phrases over the past year and a half. I know my hand is currently raised. Millions of people across dozens of industries were labeled unessential and forced to lock down with livelihoods and futures crushed in an instant. And as government has continued to expand its power and leverage fear to turn neighbor against neighbor, a group of filmmakers have taken a stand and are determined to help set the record straight on the importance of following the actual science of the pandemic. Follow the Science on Lockdowns and Liberty from the Sound Mind Trader Group is a brand new docu-series highlighting the stories of those negatively impacted over the past year and a half by ineffective government policies enacted in the name of following the science. With noted experts like Nick Hudson from Panda, the pandemic data and analytics organization, healthcare policy advisors like Scott Atlas, and telling the stories of business owners, families, and just your average everyday person harmed by these government mandates. Follow the Science on Lockdowns and Liberty is giving us a chance to make sure the true stories of the pandemic are told. So please help us at The Brian Nichols Show in supporting the Sound Mind Creative Group. With noted figures in the Liberty Movement like Dr. Tom Woods donating thousands of their own dollars to this project, you know just how important this project is. So head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash follow the science to donate and catch their brand new trailer to the docuseries one more time. That's briannicholsshow.com forward slash follow the science.